Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards, and hopefully we've all had a great week, and another great week of, of National League football has taken place as well. Joining me as always, it is Rob Laurel. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. And also with us, it is Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, good afternoon, guys. And also joining us, our special guest today, we have got, he's well, normally he's a touchline reporter for BT Sport, but he was thrust into the limelight for Bromley against Torquay, and he presented the, the whole flaming thing yesterday. It is Jeff Brazier. Hello, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it so much yesterday. It was such a, a great experience, having watched Matt do it for like, Years, really. Um, and knowing one day you get your chance, but until you've actually, you know, walked in those shoes, you can never really understand just how complex it is. And But actually, in, in the same token, how, how straightforward it is as well when it's, you know, you're talking about saying you love the league that you love um, with some experts who, who, you know, equally share that passion. So um, it was a great experience. Shall and we- Jeff, can we ask a bit of a cheeky question, but... Was it a thrown in at the last minute because of a scenario or did you know it was coming up? Did you have a bit of chance to come? Yeah, I'd had a month to prepare. Um, so they've given me that one. They've given Becky Ives uh, altering them uh, towards the end of the month. So I, I, I think it's them just seeing that we're ready in our development to uh, to take that step up. But um, as I say, it's yeah, it's quite a... Yeah, Matt wasn't late. I, he does that sometimes. He's, he's like, oh, <laughs> I'm caught in traffic and um, you're on standby and you're like, oh, you know, I don't think I'm really that prepared for it. But no, I was, I was ready for this one. Brilliant stuff. Let's start with there then, Jeff, the game you're at, the late kickoff, Bromley against Torquay. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it, it was, uh, well, it was done and dusted in the first half, really. Um, so you've got the, the, the game itself was just uh, more about the goals than it was anyone's performance you can't really it's not even worth talking about what Torquay weren't uh, because Bromley were just so solid and in control really and as much as Torquay came out in the second half 2-0 down obviously Gary Johnson would have um, had a word and um, you know they had, they had a sort of a, a better sense of purpose they moved the ball a bit quicker but it just didn't last long because next thing you know you've got um you know, Andy Woodman's making substitutions on like 55 minutes, taking off the kids who have done brilliantly and putting on the the, uh, the experienced pros that are, are just going to see the game out. And they did it expertly, to be honest. You just looked at it, such a all-round performance. But what I've skipped really is the most important part is the game really became about the goals. Um, Sabia, uh, it's his fourth game. Um, young kid, another prospect that's come off the... Uh, the Bromley conveyor belt, of which, you know, so they're giving Boreham Wood a, a run for their money in terms of what they're producing. And he's, I, I've seen, and I, I didn't have the bottle to describe it at half time, sort of, um, you know, during the, the presentation. But what I wanted to say is that, you know, when a cat falls off a table unexpectedly <laughs> and it rotates in the air within a split second in order to effortlessly land on its on its feet, that's exactly what he did. He had no right to be able to twist his backbone the way that he did with the agility that he did. He was, it was literally like a cat. And um, yeah, it's a really technical, difficult finish, but it just, it finished off a really lovely move for Bromley. And it was one of those moments where I, I said to Grant Holt and Aaron McLean, like, we'd never really got off our feet to clap a goal at a game we're working at. But you had to. You just, it came out. And it'd been, so just to tell you about the player a little bit, it'd been so influential in the game already in that firstly, he was popping up everywhere to get on the ball. He was as effective out of possession in that he broke up play several times. But then you also noticed the inexperience um, in that he would actually, you know, make a few mistakes here. Maybe it might be a pass that didn't necessarily go to, to its intended destination or. Um, you know, so he give, might give away a needless free kick, but that was that was rare. But you'd sort of see it in his game, and you'd expect it. But then when he scored the the, the goal, all of a sudden it was like, oh, what have we got here? And I'd already heard before the game that several EFL, if not Championship clubs, are, are looking over him. Um, I think that then takes him. 
Well, it just it, it puts his name in the forefront. I've just written this week, actually, for Vanarama about the prospects that are sort of, uh, you know, potentially the next ones to move up into the EFL. And I, I hadn't heard about him or seen him play. So obviously he wasn't Sorry. in there. He needs to go top of the list now. Andy Woodman, he's done a, a fantastic job. I mean, everyone knew it'd be big shoes to fill when he took over from Neil Smith, but... His record there must I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't checked his record, but his record there must be pretty much up with the top managers in the league at the minute. No, you're right. Uh, we, we did a little uh, graphic on it. And actually, since he took over, his points per game is, um, yeah, is superior to, to any, other, any other team or any other manager. Um, I wouldn't say by loads. I know, you know, obviously we're talking about really small margins that make a big incremental difference, but yeah, if you're into your stats, yeah, since he took over. And do you know what? We, well, I think we realised, don't we, that there was probably a few of us that thought, oh, he's no National League experience, so maybe that'll work against him somehow. Maybe he'll kind of have a bit of a shock as to how different the level is. But I think what we have to respect, really, and, and almost be slightly um, educated by is the fact that if you've worked in and around the Premier League, the pinnacle of, of, our, of our national game, then... Um, then ultimately you're going to know more than your average and you're going to have a way about you with players um, that, that, that that we haven't. And it's, yeah, we just looked at him for, oh, he's used to, to working with that level of talent and maybe it might not necessarily transcend when he comes to Bromley. But um, yeah, you cannot doubt the job. The interesting thing, lads, is that we always mention when we talk about Bromley and we could see that they were four wins in a row and that, you know, they was going for five, which they achieved. And we'd still not really ever say title hopefuls. We'd always say um, promotion hopefuls. And really, I think we have to sort of change that, especially with seeing how the people that we're comfortable saying are title hopefuls in, in terms of Wrexham, Stockport, Chesterfield. I think you have to start talking about them in that, in that vein, even though it's really early on in the season, just because... They're, you know, because of the points per game thing, because of what they've done since he's come in, because of the work that they're doing on the infrastructure of the club. The fact that when I watched a game um, in the gantry like a, a couple of months ago, their defeat to Boreham Wood, um, there was literally about 10 kids who had just come out of university that are doing their analytics. Um, and the fact that that's a club really taking themselves seriously and really doing all of the right things in order to just build that platform for them to become an EFL side. So I would now personally say they're title, they're title hopefuls because why not? They've earned that. I was going to say, Rob, you'll back me up on this. So I put them down to win the league, didn't I? Just for that very reason, everyone will look at Red you. You did, court. and yeah, you did. And the other point to bring in here, and then you know, divert a question back to Jeff is, isn't that what we just love about this league? Because obviously, all those big three that have heavily invested, they're all in the picture. You know, one or two of them just outside, not where they'd like to be, but they're they're in touch. But when you look at that uh, top seven, and we'll dissect some of the yesterday's results shortly, but look at some of the clubs in that top seven. Solihull Moors, Bromley, who you've mentioned, Halifax and Boreham Wood. And one of the reasons, uh, Luke, you went for Bromley is because you're looking at the fact that the Macclesfields, the Suttons, not always the ones with the biggest budget and the biggest teams, have been the ones that that have been winning this league in recent years. And and you're right, Jeff. they they need to be included. We need to be brave enough to say that clubs like Boreham Wood and Halifax as well, on merit, are in the, they're in the race. Yeah, don't we always know? I mean, look, there's always 10 clubs that are, um, that are, are either title hopefuls. We always save us a, a bracket of maybe four teams, don't we, for that? Yeah. And then we say promotion hopefuls. But um, this season, and again, I took on board what Gary Johnson said in his interview on TalkSport in the week about our Really, it's us fans and pundits, you know, the people that sort of watch it week in, week out, that are always quite transfixed on who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And the truth is, we never know, and it never really ends up the way you expect it to. Certainly not this this league. Um, but he was just saying about, look, all you've got to do is be in the top half by Christmas, um, be on your way to the the the, the, uh, the the promotion, sort of the you know the top seven by a certain point. And then after that, it's, you know, it's, it's anyone's guess because everyone's going to experience um, key injuries and um, we know how important that is and we know how important the collective is in terms of that relationship between the club and the players and, and how consistent 
they're able to be because we know the teams that win it are the ones that are able to be consistent. They're not necessarily the sexiest names with the biggest players, um, you know, who are ex-football league sides. It, it doesn't work like that anymore. So, so why do we keep reading from that script at times? Yeah, looking at the top of the league, it is Grimsby who are up there at the minute. Only one defeat this season and a really good win for them. An inform walking side, Harry Clifton got the only goal. And again, Grimsby are another team in that conversation, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I've not watched them play, uh, but I can't wait to see them play. What's really interesting about them is is the fact that firstly, you know, a lot of people just think when they've come down from League Two, relegated sides don't always do great. Usually one of them are not bad and one... Before Barnet, and again, you, you lads have been focused on this league longer than I have. Before Barnet, there was always one side that had a minimum of 17 points on 10, on 10 games. Sometimes it was better. Um, and, then, and then we had two years, maybe pandemic-related, whereby the teams that come down didn't do particularly well. Um, and, you know, you can always pick out a handful of clubs like Orient. You know, we all remember how they were skirting with the, the, the relegation places. And he was like, well, how can that possibly happen? It's because they, they haven't recognised that they're a National League side and that they deserve to be a National League side. There was almost a snobbery that I think catches clubs out at times. Grimsby just haven't had that. And the reason for it, I guess, is because firstly, Paul Hurst has won the level already and knows exactly what it entails. Secondly, it is far from the same squad that got relegated last season. I think it's what makes it more impressive that they've got eight wins in 11 is because actually this is a team that they've chucked together. Some great National League players with great experience, some League Two quality as well. But they've no out-and-out goal scorer. You know? And that's, that's, that was an interesting point made yesterday is that 11 different scorers, um, yeah, Clifton, would still, so it's still 11, and their goals are coming from all over the place. And they just look like they could take some stopping. The only team that beat them was, was subsequently Bromley, wasn't it? 25 goals they've scored this season. And the top scorers are McAtee and Taylor. And they've scored five each. So, as you say, it is, it's being spread around all over the place, isn't it? And um, obviously, Woking in massively good form. They went down there yesterday as well. Two real informed teams going at each other. Interestingly, I looked at a quote that Paul Hurst gave in his post-match interview and he said a message came through to us at half-time that they thought they were outworking us. I don't think they had that capability, was his, was his <laughs> response to that. So, a lot of hard work in that team as well. Chris, 11 different goal scorers as well this season already, Grimsby, looking at it. So, the goals are coming from all over. And I was concerned initially that with Southend and with Grimsby that they kept too many of their relegated squad. In the end, actually, um, there was just 10 players kept by Grimsby. And uh, I think, uh, looking at my spreadsheet, 17 that, uh, have come in. So they have uh, f- filled it with a lot of fresh faces. And obviously the likes of McAtee and Ryan Taylor, who's coming from Newport, a uh, very experienced 33-year-old, 450 appearances in his career. A nice balance. And me and Chris had this conversation yesterday. It's frightening where Grimsby are right now, Jeff, because as you said, you never expect the relegated sides to start that well. There's got to normally be an adjustment period. Well, guess what? At the end of their adjustment period, a quarter of the way into the season, Grimsby are two points clear. Yeah, 26 points is, is just a, a massive um, a massive uh, points tally at, at this early stage. But as I say, I've not seen him. I can't wait to see him. The, the stuff that I've watched on highlights, McAtee looks like my kind of midfielder who's just always looking to break forward and um, you know, is positive and, and likes to get himself in the mix. And hence the reason he's got his five goals. Michi Efete as well is, is, is doing a really good job, obviously coming from Wildstone. Uh, he's, he's, he's scored a couple himself and... Um, I think that he's someone that, that Paul Hurst believes he can he can uh, push forward and and either get rent, get uh, promoted with them or or potentially get get a move once he's developed slightly. I'm still quite young, but um, yeah, I can't wait to watch him play. Actually, I'm, hopefully that opportunity will come around soon. Just sticking with the newly promoted sides, then Jeff, as we say, South End. They are a team who kept a lot of the squad from last season, which we kind of scratched our heads about a little bit. It's not worked out for them. They lost 4-0 at home to Chesterfield. And ultimately, Phil Brown's been given the boot. Yeah, I, I don't know whether the fans really wanted necessarily the, the, the managerial change or whether they wanted to change sort of higher up, to be honest. Um, but I've seen quite a bit of uh, the conversation on social media and 
they feel like there's uh, there's an element of roots all being positioned for um, for you know being developed upon. I don't know whether there's a new ground sort of in in the offing or whether they feel like they're losing their club. But you know if, if that's a club you've grown up supporting, then you would take that particularly uh, personally. Uh, hence the reason why they're, they're they're on the pitch with banners. Um, but yeah, when the news sort of reached us at Bromley, um, yeah, it's, it takes you by surprise, doesn't it? Because you just um, you you how can that happen really? How can we have owners that are so far off in terms of, you know, the other day taking himself into the, uh, into the away end when I think that was away. At, uh, uh, I can't remember where I think it might have been Kings Lynn, but, um, but you know, the supporters um, voiced their frustrations at the way he's running the club to the point where actually he had to sort of leave for his own safety. And um, he's done something that I think he hopes will buy a little bit of time potentially. And if he can get someone in who turns the results around, does that buy him a little bit more time? Um, it, it, that's down to the South End fans, I think, and just how determined they are to see the changes that they that they, that they they want to see in order to feel like their club is is safe. I, and I honestly think that, you know, not necessarily just safety from a third consecutive relegation but safe and and you know will not go down the road of other clubs like Macclesfield just to see who they're going to appoint guys as well um because with the fan discontent there at the minute it's going to be hard for any manager to go in especially when you're playing at home with that toxic atmosphere it's, it's hard for the players isn't it no matter who's manager yeah it's it's a difficult one I think there's some some good names that we know about that are out of work at the minute we don't know what interest they'll have in it Darren Curry's one of them Neil Smith is another, whether that job will appeal to them. Um, you know, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? it? It's still a very big club and it's right down on its knees. So there's that kind of, the challenge is there to try and help get it off its knees. But is it a poison chalice? Is it one that uh, you're kind of doomed to fail? I mean, I would say, look at their last two managers, Mark Molesley, uh, a young, hungry manager with back-to-back promotions with Weymouth, went in there. Um, and steady the ship a little bit, got got them a bit more defensively solid, and and they had a decent run, but Barrow's run was even better to safety, uh, and he was dispensed with. And then Phil Brown, building on Jeff's earlier point, Phil Brown is a manager that's managed in the Premiership. So again, he hadn't he hadn't managed at this level before, Jeff. But you would have thought that he should have been able to do better than fourth bottom with South End. So you have to look for the common denominator, don't you? Yeah, I think as well, sometimes I, I always tap into the, the psychological aspects. It's a part of the game that I'm really interested in as a talking therapist. I know some people, you know, like to believe that it all happens on the pitch and that's the only place that actually matters. I, I think that's far from the truth. And if you have two relegations sort of etched into your, your very recent memory, uh, either as a player uh, as anyone working at the club, then the minute you start picking up a few defeats, then, you know, what's triggered is that, oh, here we go again, um, whether that's conscious, subconscious. And I just know they need a real a real change. Uh, but firstly, it's like we've seen with Chesterfield had back-to-back relegations, didn't they? And they just needed to consolidate and um, to kind of find their feet and to stop the slide, and the descent, if you like. And that's exactly what South M will be looking for because they might still feel like, connecting the seasons together they're in free fall they're in chaos looking at the top again then you mentioned him earlier Jeff Boreham Wood and Halifax both having excellent seasons I mean Boreham Wood sort of great start to seasons built in their defensive solidity only nine goals conceded so far and, and Halifax they struggled against the lower teams at home especially last season he seemed to have eradicated that uh, Boreham Wood had a really good win over Dagenham and Redbridge on Saturday and Halifax beat Weymouth by two goals to nil yeah, Boreham Wood are um, a great, actually. I, they, I always feel like they are good every other season. Um, don't, don't listen, they're always good, but they're, they're, you know, they're pushing every other season. Um, I, so I watched them beat Bromley. Um, their counter-attacking game was as good as I've seen it. And, um, yeah, I, you know, just the consistency of it. Luke Garrard's been at the club for quite a while now. He seems to be given contract extension after extension and, um you know, they're a good fit and they're really happy there. And what he told us is how he's, he's built a really experienced side. And at this early stage of the season, that experience, uh, those old heads, um, the fact that they're winning games or at least, you know, picking up points as they did against Eastleigh that before last season, he said we didn't have the right mentality for it. We didn't have the strength of character and we would have lost those games. 
So that's that's really um, making a big difference from Halifax as well. I was at the Yeovil game, which was a really um, pivotal game for them again, it seems, just because they've been unbeaten ever since. Um, they lost 1-0. Pete Wilde got sent off. He probably he must have served, you know, three games sort of watching from the sidelines. I believe one of those was was against Aldershot, wasn't it? And um, yeah. Uh, that weren't a dig, by the way. I was just throwing it in to be factual. Um, but yeah, is uh, Halifax a, a, a clearly a really good side? Who they just signed from Chorley? Elliot Newby from um, who who had been at Stockport. Yeah, so he signed him on loan from Stockport. Yeah, yeah, on loan. Right, oh, from Stockport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they just um, yeah. The, both those sides again. We would have last year considered them, you know, on the fringes for will they or won't they make the playoffs? And now this year again, they're just like, well, we're going to go one better than that. They've um, they've set the early pace, it seems. And on Boreham Wood, Jeff, um, what particularly impresses me about them this year there was there was no no sulking, no hangover, despite the fact that they lost Shimanga on the eve of the season. That's your you guaranteed 19, 20 goals a season, man. Top scorer in the league already with Chesterfield. And they just dusted themselves down and got on with it. And they do run a different kind of model to most other clubs. I, I, I track the size of the squads and the comings and goings. And, and it's always a small but a quality squad, isn't it, Boreham Woods? It, it is, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were sort of uh, compensated handsomely. I think that um, apparently Chesterfield paid a fee that Bolton turned their noses up at too much for Bolton but Chesterfield uh, went for it so yeah I mean and, and what they brought in is um, has, has obviously been adequate for, for the start of the year but isn't it funny you, you, you're looking at league tables now and you think well maybe this is the these are the clubs that are going to it, it can just swing around and it does swing around so so quickly um, I'm really interested in the clubs that have played two games less than everybody else obviously Woken had a loss yesterday but for uh, we know Bromley are one of them and Altrinham. I've got so much time for Phil Parkinson and the job that they're doing there at Altrinham. I'm really keen to see what it is that they can do this year. Interestingly, yeah, as well, two... we... sorry, no, no, I was just no, you go. I was going to say, we're in fourth place, we're Chesterfield, who, as we mentioned, beat South End and. In a way, they needed that result because I've been reading the Chesterfield forums and they've been a bit frustrated that they've been getting into leads, throwing them away, only drawing or losing. It happened again at Wrexham. By all accounts, they were cruising at Wrexham before conceding a last-minute equaliser to Paul Mullin. But they went there and, and they really got the job done and they're back on track. Yeah, they'd only... Um, they'd only I think they'd, they didn't have a win in the three games prior to yesterday. So that, that 4-0 thumping was um, was really important. I can imagine the fans were getting frustrated because, again, this is their season. It's got to be their season, right? After coming close last year, I think they lost to Notts County, didn't they, in the, in the playoffs? And um, I remember that it was a great game, to be fair, but you thought, well, Chesterfield are going to really bounce back. The signings they've made, um, apparently, Saidu Khan, who scored the fourth or, or scored the other, the one that Danny Rowe didn't, basically, is meant to be an exceptional talent as well. And um, again, Chesterfield, another side that I've not had the uh, the pleasure of watching yet. But but you know, again, we've got so many teams that just look really, really capable this year. The firepower they've got is ridiculous, isn't it? And Danny Rowe scoring a hat trick yesterday was significant because if you've got Shimanga banging him in, and now you can get Danny Rowe banging him in as well, it's frightening, really. They'll have a little mini competition between themselves, won't they? Um, You can imagine for Danny Rowe that that would have... It'd be happy for the team, if you like, but also on the other hand, there's a part of him that's like, I want to be the one getting the goals. I'm the goal scorer here. So for him to get a hat-trick yesterday, you know, the last thing the rest of the National League wants is Kabongo, Shimanga and Danny Rowe having a competition each week as to who can score the most goals. And he had to wait. He had to be patient, Rowe. He was on the bench quite a lot of times with Stefan Payne starting up top. But you do wonder, and I haven't seen the uh, highlights and the goals of that game yet, but uh, you do wonder if, if teams are so worried about the likes of Shimanga that if you're not careful, you take your eye off Shimanga, uh, put your eye on Shimanga, you take your eye off Rowe and someone else hurts you. Yeah, going back to that game in midweek, it did finish one all between Chesterfield and Wrexham, but uh, one of those results that probably didn't tell the full story because Chesterfield had 17 efforts to Wrexham's four on the day. So it ended up being a really, really good point for Wrexham. Um, who, you know, we haven't really particularly talked about so far in this pod. Obviously, they didn't play on Saturday, but they sit just behind 
the chasing pack as well, Jeff. And uh, what have you made of them? I mean, undoubtedly, what they've gone for, five, six players still of a really good age, proven quality playing in League One and League Two, and they've brought them down. Um, they didn't rush into it, did they? They took the time, Wrexham, but they do have some quality there. What I want to, when it comes to Wrexham, we saw yesterday how themselves and Stockport were in a similar mid-table position at the start of the day. And it's, it's interesting because you look at Stockport and you think their manager's under pressure, but yet you look at Wrexham and you think their manager's not. I, I wonder why. With the, the expectations were as... Um, as great, I think, for both teams at the start of the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on on why we look at um, why we look at Simon Rust differently to the other? I was going to say Chris yeah. is the perfect man to answer this. Yeah, I think it comes down to the fact that for Rust got the job and Jim Gannon was uh, relieved of his duties, and Jim Gannon was a, was a legend. So the next person coming in, there was there was so much pressure and there was so much uh, expectation that all right, he's got to be really good because we love Jim Gannon. And I think, I think that's still, that's still even now, you know, that happened you know, months and months and months ago, but I still, I still even now think that that's the case. Plus, um, I mean, th- there's no difference between them and, and Wrexham in, the, in this respect, but the, when the, um, when the new owners came in, they were talking about, we want to take Stockport County to the championship. You know, and that's a that's a bold uh, that is a bold statement to make, and so I think the fans just want to see it moving quicker than um, than the scene at the moment. And also, the thing the um, the football hasn't always been that great, especially at home this season. So that's why when they did beat Wrexham, that that was a massive win. And Rob, you saw the football they were playing yesterday as well, and um, mm. it's not they're not blowing teams away. It's workmanlike more than exciting what I'd say though yeah, on that though is is like say Rob I mean I know you mentioned it to me last night I think it's three out of four wins now for Stockport and they've signed Paddy Madden and he, he's come in and done the job that he needs to do and sometimes you don't have to play brilliantly do you but it's getting the job done yeah um, I just want to finish if I can on the point we, we were discussing about the differences Jeff asked there's one other one as well and that is that Stockport's form at home hadn't been particularly good just one win in four prior to yesterday Whereas Wrexham are unbeaten at home. They've won two and drawn two. And you do have to get it right at home in front of the majority of fans. Their their away form isn't great, Wrexham. Coming back to Stockport, um, in all honesty, I think I expected better yesterday. They did get the job done. They did hang in there. uh, And they they literally did finish hanging on a little bit against Aldershot yesterday. Um, and, and you could feel that nerves, you could feel that tension in the ground because it's not quite flowing, is it, Chris? They scored right on half-time with a good cross and Paddy Madden got himself into space and headed home. I, I, I'll let Chris give his opinion on all the shot because I give mine every week. But uh, it is actually four wins out of five for Stockport and they're two points out of the playoffs, so no major harm done. But you're absolutely right, Jeff. Um Rusk seems under a lot more pressure than Parkinson. Chris, what were your thoughts on Aldershot then yesterday? Did he look like a team that can get out of where they are? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was actually quite impressed with Aldershot and they can count themselves unlucky uh, not to go away with anything yesterday. They were absolutely bombarding County at the end. The ball was like a pinball in that penalty area. It just didn't drop to an Aldershot player. And if it had done, you know, it'd have been an equaliser and, and they were good value, I think, for a draw yesterday. So... On the evidence that I saw yesterday, I think they should be fine. Obviously, if they carry on with the the work ethic that they've clearly got, and they get a bit of luck, um, they could have scored. It. Uh, Corey Andrews could have scored in the first half quite easily, but for a great save by Ethan Ross. So um, no, I've got no worries about them. Tell you what, Jeff. Two more teams who are maybe gone under radar a little bit recent. Well, Notts County certainly didn't start the season. They have over the last week or so because I think they'd lost three on the bounce up until they won at Yeovil on Saturday. And also Solihull Moors have quietly sneaked into those playoff spots now as well, haven't they? Yeah, Solihull, um, I, I watched them get beat 5-1 by Dagnum. And, and again, it, it looked like a drubbing um, in terms of the scoreline, but they, they were really in the game. They could have easily made it to, in fact, they could have probably got got off to a, a better start and took a few chances that they had early on. Uh, but Dagnum were obviously far better that day than they have been since. Um, 
So, yeah, Solihull just crept up into, again, they're in the, the playoff spaces and a lot of that is to do with um, this this really interesting attack they've got. Again, they're fantastic on the counter uh, as well. They're very alike with Boreham in in that sense is they've got so much pace that will hurt teams. Um, we know Joe Sabar has, has got a ton of goals already. Uh, he hasn't scored in the last couple, I don't think. And they've got Cole Hudlin as well. Hudlin, uh, what do they do with him? Because uh, he's probably not a Neil Ardley player, to be fair, but yet he was linked with um, with the likes of Celtic and Sheffield Wednesday and, and others. But, you know, he hasn't really been playing much. Uh, he got a few minutes midweek. I don't know whether he, he played at all yesterday. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see what, what happens with him. And, and Notts County, again, there always seems to be pressure around Notts County. Unless they're literally winning game after game, you always you always just sense this like overwhelming. Like, you can imagine what it's like there. Um, and, yeah, three games back-to-back. Back, it's not really good enough for, for anyone in the top half. Certainly not a club of their stature. Um, so I, I'm almost sort of glad that they got that win, as you know, for free and virtual sake, if you like, just so that can just ease a little bit. And um, what well, a ninth now with 18 points. So you know they're 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 uh, where they need to be. And just a quick footnote on that one: there's a certain amount of irony, isn't there, that Solihull Moors sits seventh, which is where sixth or seventh, where he sat with Notts County when he got the when he got the tin tack. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're two two places and. A point ahead of Notts County right now. We talked about this when it comes to Danny Searle's dismissal at your own club, Rob. And you, you know, you always, you, you, you know that a a managerial change will only really ever justify itself at the end of the season, given where where the team finishes. So, uh, what would be really interesting if both clubs were in the playoffs and they met each other, you know, in a game that really, really mattered and. Be interesting to see how that one goes down. But to be fair, Notts County fans have been really receptive to a Neil Ardley return, even if it is the manager of the opposition. Um, he, I thought he did really well from him. A lot of them will still feel like he was unlucky. But, you know, we move on, I, go, I guess. Yeah, I think he conduct, conducted himself excellently as well all through the, uh, you know, the pandemic and some of the difficulties that they faced, along with other clubs as well. But they had it particularly... Uh, hard at uh, at Notts County. Altrincham, I know you mentioned Phil Parkinson before. Jeff, another dark horse. They had a good win against Maidenhead, and I know they kind of slipped off a little bit once it felt they were safe. But I know they've got plans in place as well to go kind of hybrid full time next year. Do you think they can sustain it this year? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think um, last year that that great run of form they had, um, which culminated in I think them beating Torquay, and then I wrote about them for. Banner Armour and ever since then they were shocking and I got blamed a little bit Actually, we have a, we always have a laugh about it whenever I see them and you know, make sure you don't write about us again um, but the fact that they've done it then and they've done it again and I know they've got some really exciting players and he's obviously a really um, underrated uh, manager um, in amongst all the other great managers that we've seen to have in this league and um, and so there's absolutely no reason why they can't, um, yeah, why they can't keep doing what they're doing. And uh, I hope, I, yeah, I hope I get to see them soon. And just down at the bottom, then quickly, Rob. I know you saw Dover midweek hold a shot game there, first win against Dover. Barnet went down to Dover and got the three points yesterday. Uh, we'll touch on Barnet in a minute because again, that's four games unbeaten now for Dean Brennan. But Dover, I mean. Jeff, Rob, what are your thoughts on them? I, I watched them play uh, away to Weymouth and um, they're, they're, they're fighting for their lives and uh, they're doing everything as a collective that, that, that the manager and the supporters would want them to be doing. They're working really hard at it. They're just, you know, their squad is obviously depleted. It's, um, they're, they're, they're not as good as probably the majority of teams in the league, but are they working hard at it? And um, is Hess, you know, going to try and absolutely squeeze every last bit he can out of them? Yeah, I think they they honestly try and set themselves up for that clean sheet. And Danny Collins has been doing really well. Um, and yeah, they're, 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 they're trying their best. Um, whether whether they can, you know, they're, they're, they're already minus nine. And obviously then they've got to make up um, teams yeah. above them it would seem impossible right it would absolutely seem impossible unless there was some um, mm. investment but uh, from what I hear that's not necessarily the way the owner wants to take it so um, what, a, what a difficult season for the fans and 
and for the and for the players, knowing that every every game is a real battle. Um, I think you know a lot of them can do themselves a lot of credit though, and make themselves really attractive to uh, to other teams when and as whatever fate becomes of them. Um, I think it's those sort of experiences that probably shape your character, right? And if you if you can turn up and be mentally present even though you know there's a good chance you're gonna you're gonna lose or you're gonna have to really work hard for a for a point at the very most um then that that will give players uh, an edge when they move on in the future but that's me trying to find positives for for this team that find themselves in a really difficult position because of a decision that the club made last year and and just of, of, uh, to add to that, really, Jeff. I mean, you're absolutely right. They've made themselves really, really hard to beat. And some good good sides, sides in the top seven, Chesterfield and Solihull Moors, have been to Crabble and not been able to get the wins this season. Unfortunately for them, they've just not got any momentum with points. They've they've uh, grabbed themselves what three draws so far. But uh, when you start the season on minus ten, minus twelve, you it's almost how quickly can you wipe it off and get back to zero. And here we are, you know, 11 games in and they're still at minus nine points. And the, and the task does look somewhat hopeless. But as, as you say, there's lots of things individually and collectively for them still to aim for. Um, and if anybody thinks that they're going to go and play Dover and get an easy win, then they're in for a shock. Rob, what was the atmosphere like there on Tuesday? Was it almost a sense of resignation or were they just behind every, everyone? Um honest answer there was no atmosphere it's almost a reluctant acceptance that it is what it is you know they got what 800 yesterday against Barnet um I can't recall the crowd in midweek I'm pretty sure it was it was lower but um no there's no like dissenting voices um there's no rallying cries either it's it's just a little bit limp and lifeless at Dover at the minute and somewhat understandably so and, and for Barnet, Jeff, I mean, Dean Brennan, he, he's kind of head of football there and he's saying, oh, we've got lots of applicants, but maybe, I think I think uh, it was mentioned on the highlight show last week, maybe he can look in the mirror and go, do you know what, I'll take it. Well, I think the reason why he, he didn't end up taking uh, the job maybe before Harry Keel was, was that he has other business interests outside of football. And that they were going very well. I'm not sure what the business was. I guess it's, it doesn't really matter. But um, maybe maybe things have changed. Uh, maybe he does now feel like that's running itself. Or <laughs> we'll have to ask him about his business another time. But um, but maybe that's the reason. I'm sure it's on a plate for him. And if he wants it, you can't just turn things around that effectively with two draws and two wins since you all of a sudden sort of grab. By the way, there's a lot of work to be done on a training pitch, right? Um, to to kind of put your your philosophy across and make those changes that that needed to be made, um, for him to do it so effectively means yeah, absolutely that the fans must must be like, come on, please take it. But it's just whether it's right for um, you know it's a full time consideration, isn't it? Um, so I, I think that that will be a decision that it'll be weighing up but for versus his um, commercial interest. Uh, easily vital win for them because they've had a bit of a stuttering start to the season, haven't they? It's really odd because, yeah, you, you saw the stuttery start, um, really bad start initially, and then and then I watched them. Um, who did I watch them play? Was it Wood. Yeah, yeah so, and, and they were the better team and they were very much on the front foot. Ryan Hill looks like an absolute prospect. Um, you know Ben House is going to get a load of goals at some point. Um, I think he, he got one, didn't he, um, yesterday. And, and yeah, you almost can't understand, but maybe a bit of a lack of self-belief potentially. Um, yeah, they lost, they lost the, the three or four of their, of their, um, of their solid defence that served them really well last year. So there's a, a, an element of rebuilding there, um, but they just look great. And then after the Boreham Wood game, they went and lost to South End mid- midweek, which was almost like, how, how did we get from that performance to, to losing to South End with their difficulties at the moment? So um, I don't know. You know, Eastley have obviously just got to find a little bit of consistency. But when they do, there'll be a side that will be really difficult to beat and also be quite exciting to watch in the process. Well, Jeff, thanks for, thanks for joining us. 
Listen, it's been a great start to the season for all of us, whether you've got a particular team or you're a neutral like me, it's been a really fascinating start. And I think it's shaping up to literally be the best season that, that we've had for a long time. We're going to move on and look now at the National League South. And joining us, he's not been on for a while, it is former Hungerford Town manager Ian Herring. Hiya, Ian. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. And uh, how have you been? What have you, what have you been doing with yourself? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks, mate. Um, family life's good, which is the main thing. But um, still playing at Fairford, although the um, hamstrings are about to pack up. <laughs> How, so you've always had a taste of management previously at Hungerford. Is that something you're looking to get back into now? Definitely, mate. I think when when sort of COVID hit and I made the decision to to step away, it was something that I needed personally um for various different reasons um and the, the the break away from that done me the world of good um but yeah it's definitely it's been a funny sort of couple of years um but now obviously playing at Fairford helping some of the younger players out and uh, it's, it's something that I'm sort of itching to get back to doing really not just managing coaching in any capacity so yeah definitely definitely something that sort of floats my boat as they say Talking of Hungerford, they went, your former club, of course, they went to the league leaders, Dartford, and, and Dartford ran out by what winners by a goal to nil. And they're absolutely flying this year, aren't they, Steve King's side? Yeah, they are. Um, one nil at home, um, league leaders, uh, happy days. Um, Hungerford give a good account of themselves by all accounts. Um, but yeah, Dartford sitting pretty at the top, five points clear. He's recruited well again. Um, brought brought a lot of a lot of new faces in at the start of the season, and they've certainly picked up where they left off last year. And and they're, they're the ones to catch. Yeah, Adi Aziz with the winning goal there. In second place, just behind them is Maidstone, and and last week Maidstone were just brushed aside by Dartford, and. That, that defeat maybe affected him a little bit because Eastbourne Borough turned up to Kent and won by two goals to nil, although Maidstone do say do stay second. That's a bit of a blow for Hacken Heretton, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Obviously, it is early days, only eight games gone. I'm sure Hacken will be delighted with the start that they have had. Um, granted, yesterday's result would have disappointed them, but Eastbourne are a de- decent outfit themselves as well, and um, it is a tough league. Anyone can beat anyone still, but um, no, Maidstone, full-time, John Steele stepping away last season. Um, they're, they're, they're set up nicely in second, so I'm sure that's just a bit of a blip. Yeah, just behind them are Oxford City and Concord. Contrasting fortunes for those two sides. Oxford City with a comprehensive 4-0 win at Hemel Hempstead. And and Concord lost at 5-2 at Havenet and Waterlooville, who are just they've had a funny little start to the season and have haven't. Concord and Oxford have had have had a brilliant start to the season. What are your thoughts on those sort of four teams? Yes, um, having a, a, a very similar to last year again, um, seem to be throwing a load of money at it again, even though there were some comments about a couple of years ago when COVID hit about teams have to cut their cloth accordingly. They, they don't seem to be doing that as an outsider looking in. Obviously, that's just assumptions. But no, very similar to last year. Some weeks they're excellent, other weeks they're, they're, they're not so good. So I'm, I'm sure consistency is, is something that Paul Doswell will want from them. But um, yeah, obviously hitting five against um, Concord. Concord have had an outstanding start, obviously. Off the pitch, a chairman stepped away. He's done a wonderful job at that club. Um, new manager taken over and, and Concord have to do things. They're very similar to Hungerford, really. They have to be clever with their recruitment and things like that. And they've had an exceptional start and fourth place. Uh, they, they've certainly hit the ground running. Um Oxford uh, away at Hemel. Mark Jones taken over at Hemel. Obviously, he used to be at Oxford. Oxford. Yeah. I'm sure he's not not too happy about that. But um, obviously, he's recently got the job, and he, it, it, their goals against Colin Hemel minus seven. Their goal difference minus seventeen goals against twenty five. Is um is is uh, he, he's he knows where he's he's got to do his work sort of thing. So Oxford City hit the ground running again. They've been gradually progressing and and they seem to they seem to um, come up trumps with their striker strikers each season. And um, Joey 
Iacafano, is it? I'm not sure on the pronunciation. Yeah, Iacafino, I think it is. I get it wrong. We all get it wrong. But yeah, uh, I know, we know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> he was at Havent last year. Didn't do didn't do all that well by the seams of it. But um, the season before at St Albans, when, when we played against them, I thought he was outstanding. Works his socks off, knows where the back of the net is. He's a great age and um, wouldn't surprise me if he goes on to play league football. Uh, do I, have Oxford City surprised you? Do you think they are underdogs this year or do you think they're, they're where they should be? Um, judging on sort of clubs and the history of it, then you could, you'd probably, some people would probably be surprised. But but no, not not one bit for me. They've been progressively getting better and better over the last couple of years. Obviously, very astute manager in David Oldfield and um, Justin Merritt behind the scenes. Um, it, he knows his stuff in football as well, but um, he's doing he's running the club really well off the pitch, and um, they're reaping the rewards on it. Also, in the playoff positions are St Albans. They won two 0 at Braintree, and also Ebbsfleet. They had a three one win down at Slough. Who are really struggling this year. Yeah, Slough is um, not nice to see because um, Bakes and Unders good guys, but it is it is early. Um, I think, think it was not last season, the season before, they, they only had one one fit defender and um, they were in a similar position at the start of the season. So um, that season they ended up in the playoffs um, and I'm sure they, they, they know the league inside out. They, they know what they need to do. Um, I'm sure they'll start climbing the table soon, really. Yeah, talking of climbing the table, Dorkin after a slow start, they had a really good win against Bath City, who'd start the season well as well. And um, Mark White kind of played down Dorkin's chances this year. I think people are a bit surprised from the outside looking in at how slow they have started, but they just seem to be finding their feet now, don't they? Yeah, they have started slow. Mark's Mark, isn't he? Whether that's a bit of mind games or whatever. Internally, I'm sure he went. Um, he'd want to be climbing the table. Um, they see they've scored a lot of goals against a good Bath City side yesterday. So if they are starting getting it together, they will start rising up the table quickly. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure that's a bit. That's a bit of mind games, and and he'd hope to be up there. Talking of teams who are up there, also Hampton and Richmond Borough. They had a good. 4-2 win against Chelmsford and Gary McCann's doing another super job there, isn't he, at the Beverly? Yeah, he's another wonderful manager. Um, he's been there, I think, three or four seasons now, which which is very is unheard of nowadays. Um, but no, he's doing an exceptional, exceptional job. I think they'd have made the playoffs the season that um, COVID first hit. Um, his recruitment's very good. And um, he's got an exceptional player, which I've mentioned before, in Sam Deadfield. Um, and it's good to see them on just inside the playoffs. Well, in a point of Peter Taylor a couple of weeks ago, which raised eyebrows. However, they had a great win, 3-1 away at Chippenham. I mean, what do you make of that appointment, first of all? And it seems to have done well in a, a lot of good because they have moved out of that bottom place that they were in. Yeah, they've picked up a good couple of results. He obviously knows his stuff, doesn't he? His experience speaks for itself. Um, hasn't done all that great in the non-league scene previously um, but yeah it's, he knows his football and um, and you, you can't argue with the results he's had since he's gone there and it's, they've, I think it's two wins on the trot they've had now which is um, massively important Shippenham's a tough place to go so I'm sure they'll be delighted with that win Yeah another tough place to go is Dulwich Hamlet and Billericke went there and won by two goals to one and, and your mate somebody you know very well Kev Watson he was relieved of his duties at Billericke during the week just give us your reaction to that gutted for him Luke absolutely gutted for him I know it's um, results based industry and he sort of they've relieved him of his duties when they were one point in um, I think he was getting it together it's pleasing I've seen Brown's um, interview after the game and he's given credit to Kev sort of saying it was his players and his system and stuff so yeah just like I touched on with Gary at Hampton earlier managers don't seem to get the time um, okay Kev didn't if you look at his record on paper it's not all that great but I do believe managers need time and, and to instill their values ethos and all those buzzwords 
words and stuff like that. So yeah, gutted for him. Um, he'll be back. He's a great, great person, great manager, great coach in my opinion. Um, but and more importantly for Bullericky, it's <laughs> it seems like they've made the right decision and and Dulwich started well and they they've got a good win at a tough place to go. Yeah, like you say, Bill and Ricky, it's all about stability now because they've had all that over the last two or three years, haven't they? They're just trying to cut the cloth now. They had Jamie O'Hara like for a lot of the season last year. So is it a case of, like you say, they're not spending the money that they were and they've maybe got to just kind of be a bit more realistic? Yeah, I think they are. Um, as we all know, it was a bit of a circus previously and that's only taken them so far. So they are, I think they're trying to stabilise off the pitch. They're doing a lot of stuff with the women's team and, and uh, under 21s or it might be under 23s or what have you. So off the pitch, I think they're trying to stabilise the club. But it is important for that on it as well. Um I don't know. People talk about budgets and stuff like that. I'm sure they'd have a competitive budget for for the sort of the league they're in. Um, so yeah, they, they they need a bit of a bit of stability. But I'm sure, sort of, in ne- maybe next season, the season after, they'll be looking to push on and try and get up up, up the league again. That's uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Well, thank you for for looking at the south with us, Ian, and and best of luck in your future endeavours. No problem, Luke. Appreciate it, mate. So he's fleetingly visit the podcast this week. It is Dickie Wharton to give us his Northern Review. Hi, Dickie. Good morning, Luke. Good to see you. And it's been an interesting week at your club, Telford, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Um, Results-wise, I think, aside from results, I think the biggest story probably, one of the biggest stories in National League North this week has been the departure of Gavin Cowan from the manager's chair at Telford. Um, That happened on Tuesday came off the back of a, a 1-0 defeat at Darlington, no, no, sorry, a 3-0 defeat at Darlington last week, which I think was something like the fourth defeat in a row, uh, sixth without a win, something like that. And, and yeah, ultimately, I don't think it's just this season. Uh, I think there have been um, some discord in amongst the supporters in last season, the season that didn't finish because of COVID, the season before as well, I think I think people felt that Telford were underachieving given given what he'd got to play with, um, and I think things just came to a head this season after a poor start. Yeah, it almost felt inevitable, didn't it? In a way, it did. I mean, I don't like to say that because I I, I do know Gavin and I know him pretty well and and how he works, and I know that he would have felt very confident that he could have got Telford. Not just out of that situation, but but have rebounded from that. But um, but the supporters, I think, are generally lost faith in Gavin Cowan. I think the the last home game Telford played, there was the the, the, the gate was down by about twenty percent on what it would normally be for a, for a home game. And I think that the, the board looked at that, and and as difficult a decision as, as it was for them, because I think they have a lot of time for it. Also, I think they felt that that yes, that the change was inevitable. So, Dickie, if I was an alien just landing on the planet today and I said, what is the eye-catching National League North result? What would you say to me? Yeah, I don't think there was, a, there was any one particular that, that, that stood out. Certainly, there wasn't sort of any, any, any real goal fests in there. We had a couple of, of goalless draws thrown in. Um, I suppose Alfreton Towns taking a point off AFC Fylde might be possibly one of the best results of the day. Alfreton would perhaps argue that, that maybe it wasn't so unexpected. They're on a decent run at the moment. I think they're four without defeat now. But Fylde were undefeated going into the game and it took a very late equaliser from Ethan Walker for them to hold on to their unbeaten record there. Yeah, the winger on loan from Preston. Uh, York have slowly started to climb up the table after a horrendous start. They're, uh, they're looking good now, aren't they? Yes, they're starting to gather some 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 pace now. I called this one the Watson duel because it was Steve Watson, uh, the York City manager against Liam Watson, his Southport counterpart, and it was um, it was Steve who came out on top. Um, Southport still the only team in the division without a win, and they and they are bottom, but they've had a very. I had a look at their their start to the season, and I think they've had some very difficult fixtures. The fact that they've knocked both Spennymore and Chorley out of the FA Cup suggests that. Maybe it is a little bit of a false position for, for Liam Watson's side, but they're, they're going to need to start getting some points on the board pretty soon. Yeah, York are up to ninth now. They started the season dreadfully, as we know, with three straight defeats. Um, but they're up to ninth position now. I think they've got something like um, 
four wins out of their last five. They had a slightly surprising 1-0 home defeat to Hereford. But a 3-1 win for them yesterday. Matt Brown put them ahead. Josh from Army leveled from the penalty spot for Southport. But Akil Wright and Ollie Dyson made it safe for Steve Watson's team in the end. Yeah, I think the big clash of the day was at Agborough, wasn't it? Kidderminster against Brackley. And we talked about Brackley last week. They had such a tough time in the FA Cup against Hanley. They managed to scrape that 1-1 draw and then only beat their opponents 1-0 in midweek. So they, they came off two tough FA Cup fixtures and went to Agborough, but did the job, didn't they? They did. And and it, this amazing away record of Brackley Towns just continues. They've, they've played nine games in the league so far this season, six of them away from home. Um, I think that's because of organ, uh, reorganising a fixture earlier in the season when th- there were some COVID issues. Um, they were unbeaten in those six matches away from home. Five wins, one draw. Eight goals scored, only one goal conceded away from home from Brackley Town in six matches. And they got 22 points from a possible 27 in overall. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're away from home. They're just a machine. Kevin Wilson said, uh, Kevin Wilkins said they were fantastic from start to finish. Jordan Richards and Twarik Yusuf had them 2 0 up by half time. Um, and yeah, Harriers. Their form's going in the other direction. They were unbeaten in their first five, but that's their third defeat in a row now. So they've tumbled down the league a little bit. Yes, yeah, Benny Moore in third, as, as we mentioned, he took on uh, managerless Telford. Who, who was in the dugout for Telford on Saturday? <laughs> Uh, well, Dennis Green has taken the, the role at Telford on an interim basis. Fans might remember him um, from a spell as manager of Boston United. He's, I think his last managerial appointment was Tamworth a couple of seasons ago. Didn't last that long there, unfortunately, only about five months. Um, he was in the dugout with Alex Meach and the former Telford player is his um, assistant for the day. Um, they made... A few changes. They changed Telford's formation a little bit. They couldn't really do a lot with with the available personnel because Telford have still got some some injuries and suspension problems. But they coaxed a better performance out of Telford. But unfortunately, it still wasn't enough. Glenn Taylor, who else with a goal in the 50th minute? Um, he sealed the points for Spennymoor. Spennymoor, that's their sixth win from eight played. Now they've they've um, got four wins in a row now their home record is looking fairly strong and spending more up to third i mean it was a bit of a one-man battle um in the early stages of the the second half yesterday when the goal came um telford had had done pretty well in the first half and and it was goalless at the interval but in the first five ten minutes of the second half glenn taylor was just like a man possessed i think i counted about four or five efforts on goal from him alone in that and in that in that spell and and you just can't keep him down and yeah he, he rattled one in from around the penalty spot to um to give spenny more the points yeah curzon ashton we, we praised them last week they've been on a fantastic run they've drawn chesterfield in the fa cup they're at home in that next saturday and that's going to be a really intriguing tie and maybe just maybe although stephen cunningham won't admit it they took their eye off the ball a little bit as he went to farsley been in a dreadful run of farm yeah, this was a, a little bit of an unexpected result. Farsley been in absolutely dreadful form. They, they won on the opening day of the season, um, but their victory yesterday by two goals to nil was their first win in seven matches after a run of three draws and three defeats, which Adam Lakeland has called his, his worst time at the club, possibly even his worst time in management. And and yeah, Stephen Cunningham, I think, will will be disappointed with that yesterday, given how well Curzon Ashton have been going. I mean, you would hope that the Chesterfield tie isn't too much of a distraction for them. I mean, as much as Chesterfield are looking like the dominant force in the National League at the moment and are top, you know, I, I wouldn't think that the Curzon Ashton, he, he wouldn't want them to have any sort of inferiority complex. But but whether he has just taken their minds off it a little, we don't know. It was a case of home James for Farsley yesterday, Jimmy Spencer and James Hansen on target for them. Um, and a much needed three points for Celtic. Yeah, Gateshead are going well as well against a team who may be underachieving a little bit in Boston. I mean, what do you think about Boston and, and Gateshead's chances this year? Um, well, I've seen Gateshead. They've not played Telford as yet, but I went to see them at Lemington the other week. Um, I thought they were great in the first half. I thought their front three uh, of, um, of Sed Scott, Macaulay, Langstaff and Paul Blackett looked very mobile, nimble for this level. But in the second half, when Lemington 
got them to play the way Leamington liked to play. That they, they struggled with that a little bit. Um, I will see Boston for the first time on Tuesday night because I'm there with Telford for a rearranged fixture. So I'll probably be better placed then. But I would agree that, that Boston are not doing as well as probably people expected. I think they were third-priced favourites um, going into the season. But, but, but things have changed a bit since then. Gates said... I don't think we should be surprised by them. They are still a, a full-time outfit at this level. They're five wins in a row in all competitions um, at the international stadium. It's their fourth home league win of the season out of fourth place, uh, four played. Three went up by half-time. Goals from Langstaffy got a couple. Scott, Fraser Preston had pulled a goal back for them, but it, it was a fairly dominant performance. And Mike Williamson, I picked up in a comment from him, suggesting that the performance did indicate to his team and showed them that there was a ceiling for improvement. So he clearly feels that he can give more. Um, but a 3-1 win against a side like Boston, who were fancied, um, has to mark Gateshead down as contenders. Um, Boston only in 14th, just one away win from four attempts. Um, and I would imagine that there's probably a little bit of pressure growing on Craig Elliott now, given the resources he's been given over the last couple of seasons. I know they're drawing fans in, in their numbers to the new Jenkins community stadium, but they, they won't be, um, that, you know, part of the deal there is, is getting fans coming in to see a winning team. And, and at the moment, that's, that's not what Boston are on a consistent basis. Yeah, Charlie have quietly gone up the, seat, the table as well. We we talked about their poor start. You weren't worried about them. I mean, you were right not to be worried about them. They got a good win at Blythe, who started the season well and are now slipping down the table. Yes, um, these two have, have had a bit of a reversal of fortunes from the early weeks of the season. Blythe started strongly. Um, this was their first home defeat of the season yesterday. Uh, and Blythe are now winless in their last five, although there are three draws in that. Surely they started slowly, but they look like they're starting to pick up where they left off last season. Um, goals in each half from Hall and Alley propelled them up to sixth. Blythe are down to 15th now after that uh, that little sequence, which, um, uh, you know, Michael Nelson, I don't think, well, we imagine he wouldn't be hugely concerned because there are three draws in there, but but I think they, they'll want to win soon to snap that sequence. So two mid-table games as well to look at, Darlington against Hereford and Geisley against Leamington. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, it, it, Darlington, their second win in eight days, um, they've got Luke Charman up front and, and he's in really good form for them at the moment. I think it must be something like his fourth or fifth goal of the season yesterday. He got a couple last weekend against Telford. He was their match winner again yesterday against Hereford. Hereford didn't build on that that win they got at York. That was still just the, the sole win that they've got to their name and they're, they're languishing in 19th. Not, not a great start for them. Darlington, again, it goes to show you what a, a little sequence of results can do in this league. Two wins um, and in, in in eight days, and they're all of a sudden they're up to eleventh. Yeah, and and for Geisley, they've uh, they're up to seventeenth. It's only the second win of the season, though, for them. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a slow start for Geisley. Um, Jordan Thewlis and Regan Hutchinson got their goals yesterday. A, a much needed win for them. Their, their form's been a little bit up and down. Um, Leamington. They're winless in three now, but I don't think Paul Holleran will be, be overly concerned. Leamington are in 12th. Um, but, but yeah, it is difficult. I mean, if you'd asked me before the start of the season, Geisley are one of the teams that I would have expected to be uh, certainly below halfway in the table. Um, but maybe almost exactly where they are at the moment, 17th. I mean, they, they don't pull in huge crowds, crowds to, to, to Nethermore Park, um, but a good win for them yesterday. Yeah, and finally, there were two nil-nils in the division, weren't there? There were two nil-nils. I think they sounded like they were rather contrasting nil-nils as well. Um, the first one, um, uh, higher up the table, was the goalless draw between Kettering and Chester at, at uh, Latimer Park over in Burton, Latimer. I thought I must mention this great tweet from Leamington in midweek when they went there for the FA Cup replay. Burton Latimer is the home of Weetabix, where they're manufactured, and a great tweet from Leamington. They arrived, we're here, and it smells of Weetabix, was their uh, their opening tweet for the evening on Tuesday, which I, I absolutely loved. Um, yeah, a goalless draw between these sides yesterday. Sounded like it might have been a, a bit of a warm-up back for the, the, the fight that went on between uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder in Las Vegas. It was a bit of a heavyweight clash, 
Both teams had a man dismissed. Uh, Kyle Perry for Kettering sent off for two yellow cards. Kevin Roberts for Chester. He went for exactly the same reason, two bookable offences. We saw in midweek, Chester tumbled out of the FA Cup in midweek in very surprising fashion to Mask United, who were a step four side. And that's there, there's, there's some pressure on, on um, Anthony Johnson and Boone and Morley now. I mean, they've come out in typical fashion, you know, chests out, heads up, um, you know, giving it all the, the, the sort of ebullience that they normally do. But it is apparent that there's a, a section of the Chester support that, that are growing disenchanted with them and perhaps growing disenchanted with the way they go about things. So um, they're, they're going to need a, a more constant improvement in their form soon. Uh, yeah, the other goal is draw. Probably an awful lot less to say about that one, unfortunately. If, if we'd been picking the order for match of the day, I think Gloucester City nil, Bradford Park Avenue nil would definitely have been on last Avenue winless in fourth. It was Gloucester's first uh, points in in six matches after a run of five defeats in a row. So there's a little bit of promise there for, for new manager Lee Mansell. It was described as a much improved performance. They rise to 20th because of Telford's defeat, but it's not where uh, Gloucester City imagined they were going to be when the season started. Um, Bradford Park Avenue in 18th. Yeah, you can see Gloucester trying to start and get results from the back. And a signing that caught my eye this week because I saw Ben Nugent came in from Barnet. He's very tall, lots of experience, and that could be a, a key signing for them. It could be. I think it's experience that they've been lacking. I mean, it was it was experience that 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 propelled them to the top of the National League North last season in in the season that didn't finish. And um, unfortunately for them, what happened. With um, with manager James Rowe departing, as we know that there was a bit of an exodus of players, they replaced them with loan signings. They brought in Paul Groves as a manager who had a very different take on things to James Rowe, and and it just hasn't worked for them. Um, but yeah, that that's an important point for them yesterday, um, just to get some positivity back into that dressing room. But experience is what they've needed. Experience is what they've been lacking. I think they put out a statement probably almost immediately. I think actually the week before Paul Groves was dismissed, they put out a statement saying that they would and they were actively looking for players and it was experience they were looking for. So I think they knew where the faults lay, um, but they, they didn't give Paul Groves the opportunity to correct that. It's, it's over to Lee Mansell now. Uh, and at least he's got his first point on the board. And that is it. My thanks to Dickie, Chris, Rob, and especially to Jeff Brazier. That has been the NL Full Time. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time. It's the same on Instagram and also subscribe to us via all good podcasting platforms. (laughs) 